Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Today's message comes from our series, Grace and Truth, a study of the book 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Nick. Let's bow our heads and pray as we open God's Word. Lord, thank you that you're a good and gracious God, a God who desires to speak to us and lead us in the way of life. Lord, we desire to follow you. We desire to become like you. And so, Lord, we ask that you'd help us to understand what this passage has to say to us. Help us to apply it to our lives. And, Lord, help us to live as disciples of you in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a kid, I could not wait to grow up because my parents always used to tell me that when you grow up, you can do whatever you want, right? And they would say stuff like, as long as you live under our roof, you have to abide by our rules, right? You have to answer to us. But when you get older, then you can move out and then you can do whatever you want. So I couldn't wait to get older and move out so I could be free. And then I wouldn't have to answer to anybody. And that's exactly what happened. I moved out. In fact, I moved halfway across the world. I moved to Europe, to Hungary, and I was free. I did whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted to do it. Sometimes I would drink coffee at one in the morning and go outside and read a book under a streetlight just because I felt like it. Other times I'd get on a bus and go to a different city just to see what it was like there. I didn't have to tell anybody. I didn't have to ask permission. I just did it. It was great. It was awesome. Then one day, I gave up all that freedom. You know what I did? I got married. And if that wasn't bad enough, then I had some kids. And then I got a job. Not necessarily in that order, but I, uh, I have a job and kids and marriage. So now, listen, I'm 38 years old. And freedom is not the number one adjective you would probably use to describe my life. Okay, I can't just get on a bus and go wherever I want anymore because I got kids who got to be fed and helped with homework and dropped off for school, not to mention my other responsibilities. And my friends will call me on the phone. They'll be like, hey, Nick, let's go do something. And I'll be like, yeah, you bet. I'm there. I will definitely do that. So then I, I'm like, okay, but I just got to tell my wife. I'm just going to let her know, right? So I'll be like, hey, honey, so I'm going to go do this thing with my friends. And she'll be like, oh, and then I'll be like, uh, Oh, no, 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 uh, yeah, sh- no, you don't understand. I actually meant to say, what I meant to say was, I want to spend time with you and the kids and not with my friends. No, 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 you misunderstood. And I call my friends, sorry, guys, um, I can't do it this week. Uh, something came up, right? So listen, I'm 38 years old. I have a job. But if I want to go somewhere, if I want to spend my own money, I have to ask for permission. Think about that. And think about this. I chose this, right? Like, this was my choice. I had unbounded freedom right there in the palm of my hand. And I gave it up. For what? Like, why did I, why in the world would I do that? I'll tell you why. I gave it up, I gave up some of my freedoms for the sake of something better. I laid aside certain freedoms in order to gain other opportunities, which provide me with greater joy and which I find to be more meaningful and fulfilling than just living for myself. You know, when I lived on my own 
and there was no one telling me what to do, and I had unbounded freedom, and I did whatever I wanted. You know what that was like? I was dirty, I was hungry, and I was lonely. I used to live in this apartment with these guys, and we were all dirty and hungry, okay? In my room, this is true, I had two tables. One of them was an actual table. The other one was a cardboard box that I flipped over and put stuff on top of it. I used to keep all my clothes in grocery bags, plastic grocery bags, just stuffed under my bed. And they were guarded by like an army of dust bunnies. I didn't actually know that dust bunnies were a real thing. But they certainly are, right? They were huge. In the bathroom, we had a shower, but we didn't have a shower curtain. So anytime anybody took a shower, just water went everywhere. And you might wonder, why didn't you guys go to the store and buy a shower curtain? Good question. I don't know. <laughs> Listen, I don't want to go back to that. Dirty, hungry, lonely. And you know what's funny about it? Before I was married, I was afraid of commitment because I didn't want to lose my freedom and get tied down. Think about that. What did I have to lose? All I owned was a table, a cardboard box, and a dirty room full of trash. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm willing to give up all this that I got, you know, to get married. Listen, our culture tells us that the best thing in the world is to have no ties and just be able to do whatever you want, whenever you want, and you should never give up your rights and never give up your freedoms. But what we're going to see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is that rights and freedoms are wonderful, yet sometimes the higher calling we have in Christ compels us to set aside our freedoms and rights for the sake of something greater. The title of today's message is Setting Aside Our Rights for the Sake of the Gospel. And again, here's what we're going to see. This is our takeaway truth, our summary sentence. This will be our outline for studying this passage. So write it down in your notes. Take a picture of it. Whatever you have to do to take this thought, this idea with you as you go today. Here it is. Rights and freedoms are wonderful. Yet sometimes the higher calling we have in Christ compels us to set aside our rights and freedoms for the sake of something greater. So let's take that passage and let's break it down as we study today. Rights and freedoms are wonderful, first of all. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 begins with a question. Paul the Apostle asks, Am I not free? Here Paul the Apostle is continuing a discussion which he began in chapter 8, which we studied together last week. And in chapter 8, Paul began a discussion over whether Christians could eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And what Paul told us is that sometimes, even if you can do something, it's better not to do it because in Christ we have a higher calling than just living for ourselves. And now here in chapter 9, Paul is going to give us an example from his own life of how he has put this principle into practice. So he says, am I not free? In chapter 8, Paul had, had talked about rights and freedoms. He said, you guys, yes, you have the right. You are free to do this thing, right? And Paul says, well, let me give you an example from my life. 
Listen, am I not free? Do I not also have certain rights and privileges, certain freedoms? He explains in verse one as he goes on. Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen the Lord Jesus? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? Paul was an apostle. He had seen the risen Jesus. He saw him on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter nine when he was converted. And if anyone ever doubted whether Paul was a real apostle or not, all they had to do was look at the fruit of his ministry. And the Corinthians, they were part of that fruit. He says in verse two, if to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship. You know, some people actually questioned whether Paul was really an apostle, if he was a legitimate apostle. And the reason they questioned that is because Paul was not one of the original 12 disciples who Jesus had chosen to follow him. Here's what's interesting, though. We know that the other apostles who were alive at this time, they did recognize Paul as an apostle. But here's the thing. One of the reasons why some people questioned whether Paul was an, a real apostle was because Paul never demanded payment. He never demanded a paycheck for his work as a missionary and a pastor. Now think about this. This is what happened. In the book of Acts, uh, we read that when Paul lived in Corinth, he worked as a tent maker to earn his living. He literally made tents for money. Now some people saw that and they said, see, there's the proof that Paul's not a real apostle because the other apostles all receive financial support. They all receive a salary for their work as apostles, and Paul doesn't. That's the proof that he's not a real apostle. So here in verse, starting in verse 3, Paul's going to speak about and explain why it is that he never demanded a salary for his work as an apostle. Here's what he says. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? When Paul says in verse 4, do we not have the right to eat and drink? What he's, what he's saying is, what he means is, do we not have the right to eat and drink at your expense? In other words, we have the right to eat and drink on your dime, right? Where I'm an apostle. I deserve to be paid, is what he's saying. Then he says, do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? Again, he's not just asking if he has the right to get married in general. What he's talking about specifically is the right to receive financial support, not only for himself, but also for his wife and family if he were to have one. Paul makes it clear that some of the other apostles were married. For example, he mentions Cephas. Cephas is another name in the Bible for the apostle Peter. Now we know from the Gospels that Peter was married, as Paul mentions here as well. Because in Luke chapter 4, we read about how Jesus visited Peter's mother-in-law and healed her of a fever. Now listen, let me just explain how this works. If you have a mother-in-law, that means that you're married. That's the only way to get a mother-in-law, unless in some weird turn of events, Peter just really lost out, right? Like he got a mother-in-law, but he wasn't actually married. I don't know how that works, but I hope that's not what happened to him. Listen, apparently, Peter was compensated financially by the early church to the degree that both he and his wife were provided for. 
Paul also mentions the brothers of Jesus. Now, we know from the Gospels that Jesus had several half-siblings. These are the children who Joseph and Mary had after Jesus was born. And some of them became leaders in the early church. For example, the books of James and Jude were written by the half-brothers of Jesus. James, for example, we know from the book of Acts and from the letter to the Galatians, he was a leader in the church in Jerusalem. And Paul tells us that these men were married on the one hand and that they received financial support. They received a salary from the early church to the point where they had enough money, they made enough money from the church to be able to take care of themselves and their wives and families. And Paul says, that's good. That's the way it should be. That's right. After all, verse 7, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Paul's point is that those who work in other occupations are compensated for their work. And in the same way, those who minister in the word of God also deserve to be paid or compensated for the work that they do. Paul goes on in verse 8. Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same thing? Verse 9, for it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Verse 10, does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. Paul's like, look, was the Bible written for oxen? Oxen don't even know how to read. The Bible was written for us. This principle was given so that we could apply it to our lives. It was given for our sakes. Think about it. As an ox is pulling that plow and plowing the field, that ox is eating some of the grain as it goes along. Now just imagine, a stingy farmer might say, I'm going to save some money by making my ox work, but not feeding him. And God says, don't do that. That's ridiculous. That would be cruel. It would be unfair. And it would be unwise. In the same way, Paul says, verse 11, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? Paul is laying out here very strongly and very firmly the right of a minister to be supported financially by the people he preaches to and ministers to. And yet, look at what he says in verse 12. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Now remember, Paul was the one who established the church in Corinth. And for almost two years, Paul served as their pastor. And yet even though he had every right in the world to receive a paycheck from the Corinthian church, he chose to set aside that right for the sake of the church and for the sake of the mission. Now remember, the setting here, starting in chapter 8 from our study last week, some of the Corinthian Christians were protesting a decision that had been made in Jerusalem back in Acts chapter 15, where this council in Jerusalem had said that Christians should not eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. Now some of the Christian, Christians in Corinth were saying, hey, this is a dumb rule. We don't like this. You know what? We have the right 
to eat whatever we want. And nobody else can take away that. That is our freedom. We're free to do whatever we want. If we want to eat meat sacrificed to idols, we have the right to do it. And you can't tell us not to. And Paul is saying, okay, maybe that is your right. Maybe you are free to do whatever you want. But listen, sometimes it's better not to do something, even if you can, so that you don't put an unnecessary obstacle in the way of the gospel. For example, Paul says, when I was in Corinth, I had every right to receive a salary from the church, but I chose not to, so I wouldn't put an unnecessary obstacle in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Paul was in Corinth, we read in Acts chapter 18, that he faced a lot of opposition. You can imagine there were people who were suspicious of him, who is this guy? What's he doing? Coming to our town, telling everybody that they need to believe in Jesus rather than what they used to believe in. What's he really in it for? And some people probably whispered, you know what? I bet he's in it for the money. That's why people do religious stuff, because they want to get people's money out of it. And so Paul said, look, so that I can take that discussion, that accusation off the table completely, so that it's a non-issue, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to take a dime from anybody here in Corinth, I will work for my own wages so that it's never a question why I'm doing this and what my motives are so no one can ever accuse me of doing this just for the money or trying to get anything out of anybody. When my wife and I moved, uh, before my wife and I moved here to Longmont, we planted a church in Hungary. We were there for seven years at this last church plant that we planted. And I never took a salary from that church. We were supported by some churches here in the U.S., but you know what happens when you're supported by churches in the U.S.? Here's what happens. That support is often inconsistent, right? Because the church secretary forgets to put the check in the mail. So you just don't have any money that month, right? This happens. Right? It happened to us many times. Or the, the amount of money would fluctuate every month. So sometimes we had enough money and sometimes we didn't. And so what I would do is I would work side jobs in order to make ends meet. I worked as an interpreter. I worked as a proofreader. Uh, one of my favorite jobs, I worked at a prosthetics factory, right? Like a factory that makes fake limbs. Like I worked at a prosthetics factory in the marketing department, which I think is pretty funny, right? Do you really, how much do you need to market uh, prosthetics, right? Like, don't these things kind of sell themselves? Hey, you don't have an arm. Would you like to have a prosthetic arm, right? Like the market of people that you can sell these things to is pretty limited. It's people who don't have limbs, right? Do you want a new arm? That's the, that's the marketing. That's, that's all it should take. But anyway, I worked in the marketing department of a prosthetics factory uh, as one of my jobs. And what I would tell the church there is that the reason I wasn't taking a salary from the church wasn't because you shouldn't pay your pastor. I said, you should pay your pastor, but I'm not going to take a salary, and this is my gift to you. And here's why. Because I want this church to become established financially so that you can build up some savings, right? So you can, you can just sock all that money away that you would have paid me, and instead, when I leave at some point, you will be prepared and in a position to pay your next pastor a full-time salary. And by the grace of God, when we left, they were absolutely in that position to take care of themselves financially and to pay a salary to their next pastor. My goal was that their next pastor would be able to devote all of his time to the work of the gospel through the church because I believed that that is what that church needed. Now, Paul makes it very clear that his biggest concern is not money. 
He's not concerned if I, am I getting paid enough? Am I not getting paid enough? Paul says, my greatest concern is with the work of the gospel. That's what I care about most. Listen, was it more effective for the gospel for Paul to receive financial support so he could devote all of his time to the church? If so, then Paul would receive that support. Was it more effective on the other hand though for Paul to work outside of the church for the gospel? Then Paul would do that. It, what was important was that the gospel should not be hindered in any way. Now think about that phrase there, there at the end of chapter, or sorry, verse 12, where it says, Paul says this, I don't want to put any obstacle in the way of the gospel. Think about what that means. It means that there are certain things which can act like obstacles that make it harder for people to get to Jesus or believe in Jesus or embrace the gospel right? Like an obstacle course. It's something you have to get over, and it's usually hard. And wherever possible, we should be trying to remove those obstacles and make the way clear so that people can trust in and believe in Jesus. And the last thing we ever want to do is put up new obstacles or create unnecessary obstacles that make it hard for people to believe in Jesus and trust in the gospel. You know, a few years ago, we took a poll online um, as part of a sermon series that we were preparing for. And as part of that poll, we asked everybody we knew to share it broadly online. Just have, is an anonymous poll? Fill it out. And the question was, what are the biggest hurdles and obstacles for you when it comes to believing in Jesus and embracing the gospel? And we got a ton of responses. And here's some of the things that people said. Some people said, the thing that's hardest for me to get over is the question of if God is really loving, why is there so much suffering in the world? Other people said, for me, the obstacle is science. I want to know, is there scientific proof that God exists and that the Bible is trustworthy? Now listen, in those cases, those are questions that we can actually answer. And as we answer those questions, we are removing those things which people thought were obstacles preventing them from believing in and trusting in Jesus. So we're removing those obstacles wherever possible. But then you know what else? Some other people responded to the poll and they said, you know what? For me, the biggest obstacle in believing in Jesus and being a Christian is that some people who call themselves Christians act in a way that is unloving, unkind, and frankly, hypocritical. Now listen, that is a case where, that, that's a case of us putting unnecessary obstacles in front of people and hindering them from believing in Jesus, right? That's, that's unnecessary. Listen, if somebody is offended by something that Jesus said, if somebody's offended by the gospel message itself because it requires you to admit that you have sinned against God and admit that you need to repent of your sins, Listen, if somebody's offended by that, that's one thing because that's inherent to the gospel. But if somebody's offended by something else that's totally unnecessary, well, that's an unnecessary obstacle. And so as much as depends on us, we want to remove unnecessary obstacles that would hinder people from trusting in Jesus and believing the gospel. And the last thing we ever want to do is create new obstacles that they have to get over. So I want to challenge you to ask yourself this question. Is there anything that I am doing, which even if it's not wrong, even if I have the right to do it, it's just not helpful in accomplishing the calling and mission that God has placed on my life? Paul goes on to drive this point home, starting in verse 13. 
Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So he says this is a command from God. And it's perfectly appropriate for those who preach the gospel to be supported by the preaching of the gospel. <clears throat> this was Paul's right as well, as an apostle. And Paul is saying, look, rights and freedoms are good. They're wonderful. They're, they're good. Paul was not anti-rights. He was not anti-freedom. In the book of Acts, for example, we read about how Paul utilized his freedoms and his rights as a Roman citizen. And this brings us to the next part of our sentence, though. So rights and freedoms are wonderful, yet sometimes the higher calling we have in Christ compels us to set aside our rights and freedoms for the sake of something greater. Look at what it says in verse 15. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I willing, uh, nor am I writing that these things, uh, these things to secure any provision. Paul's like, listen, don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to get you to like give me back pay for those times when you didn't pay me when I was in Corinth, right? That's not why I'm writing. I'm telling you this to teach you a principle which is important for your lives as Christians. He says in verse 16, listen, the reason I preach the gospel is because God called me to preach the gospel. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. But he says in verse 18, but I love it when I can preach the gospel free of charge, because that way no one can ever accuse me of having any other motive for doing it other than just simply wanting people to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Verse 19, for though I am free of all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Paul was a man on a mission. His mission in life as a follower of Jesus was not to serve himself. It was to live for something that was bigger and greater than himself and something that was eternally more significant than just living for his own pleasure. Paul received his mission from Jesus. And friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have received this same mission. Jesus told his disciples, just as my father sent me, so now I am also sending you. Jesus was giving us his mission. And what's his mission? To seek and to save those who are lost. He called us to go and be his witnesses and his ambassadors in the world. To preach the gospel, to make disciples, to be his body, his hands and feet at work in the world, sharing his love and his truth with others. Jesus called us as his disciples to follow in his footsteps by dying to ourselves and choosing to serve others because that's what he did for us. That's the way of Jesus. That's what he modeled for us in his life and in his death. And we get to live that out as emissaries of the gospel in the world, dying to ourselves and serving others. So Paul says in verse 20, to the Jews, I became like a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I become as one under the law, though myself not actually being under the law that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I become as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. 
And he says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Paul is saying this. He says, I am willing to do anything short of sin in order to help other people come to know Jesus and grow in the knowledge of Jesus. Now, don't, don't misunderstand. Paul is not talking about being wishy-washy. He's not talking about being a chameleon who doesn't stand for anything, right? He'll do whatever people around him want him to do. No. What Paul's talking about here is being intentional about being missionally minded in all of his interactions, no matter who he's interacting with. If he was eating dinner with some Jewish people who followed a kosher diet, he wouldn't whip out a Slim Jim, right, and just chow down right in front of them. Why? Slim Jims are great. Why wouldn't he do that? Who doesn't love a good Slim Jim? Well, listen, though he could do it, though he had the right to do it, he chose not to do it. Why? Because it wouldn't be helpful. It would be a distraction from the conversation that he really wanted to have with them, which was about Jesus, not about Slim Jims. Think about it. If Paul's with a bunch of people who are, who are not Jews, and they serve him some pork chops, he's going to eat those pork chops for the exact same reason. If he's with a weaker brother, right, talking about the people he talked about in chapter 8, who think it's wrong to eat meat sacrificed to idols, then he won't eat meat sacrificed to idols. Because by meeting those people where they're at on these non-essential issues, it removes barriers and makes them more receptive to what he has to say about Jesus, and that is infinitely more important to him. You know, here's one of the things I always say. I always say this to our staff and our leaders, and I've said it to you before as a church, and I'm going to keep saying it. I say it on the radio, and, and I'm going to keep saying it. Here's what it is. I only want to be known for one controversy. Of all the controversies in the world, when people think of me, I want to be known for one controversy and one controversy only, and that is the controversy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, there are a lot of things out there that people are... Uh, you know, getting into controversies about. There are a lot of controversial topics and people have really strong opinions about them. And you know what? I have opinions about those things too. But I purposefully choose to not go around spouting off about my opinions about every single topic, even though I could. You know why? Don't, don't I have the right to say whatever I want? Don't I have freedom of speech? I have the right to go and say whatever I want about any topic I want, and yet I choose not to. You know why? Because I want to be known for one controversy, and one controversy only, and that is the controversy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. My desire is that when people think of me, when they hear the name Nick Cady, that what would come to their mind immediately is not my opinions about politics, or my opinions about sports, or my opinions about the economy, or really any other topic for that matter. My desire is that when people hear my name and think of me, when they hear the name Nick Cady, that what would immediately come to their mind is they say, oh yeah, that's the Jesus guy. That what would come to their mind is Jesus, right? They say, that's the guy who's always talking about Jesus. That's the only drum that he pounds, and he just pounds it all the time. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Listen, I don't want any of my opinions, though I have opinions, I don't want any of my opinions to get in the way of this one great message that I have to share with everybody, that God loves you 
and Jesus died for you. And if you will trust him enough to hand your life over to him, he will forgive your sins and he will redeem your life from the pit. He will make you into a new person. He will give you the hope of eternal life and he will change you from the inside out and it will change everything from here on out. I am on a mission and you are too. And that mission should drive our actions. It is so much more important for people to hear about Jesus than it is for them to hear about my opinions. My opinions can't change their heart. My opinions can't, change their, can't save their soul, but Jesus can. So I want to give them Jesus as much as I can, amen? Listen, Paul says, 24, verse 24, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Paul says, you know what's a good example of somebody who has freedoms and yet chooses to give up their freedoms sometimes for the sake of something greater, something higher? That'd be an athlete. You know, athletes have the right to sleep in. They have the right to not work out, to lounge around. Right? They have the right to eat a box of donuts if they want. They're free. And yet they choose not to do those things for the sake of something that they want more, something greater, something better. And Paul says, just think about this. They are doing that, right? They're, they're doing all that for the sake of what? For some silly little wreath that's going to go on their head for an hour, and then it's going to end up withering and being thrown in the trash. We, on the other hand, how much more worthy, how much more important is our mission and our goal? And Paul says, so I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul is going to explain what he means by that last phrase in the next chapter, in chapter 10, which we'll look at next week. But here's the point. We have a mission from God which has eternal implications. There are people whose hearts and souls matter to God, and they should matter to us as well. The reason why we should care more about serving others than serving ourselves is because that's what Jesus did for us. This is what's being talked about in Philippians chapter 2, where it says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility... Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And he says, have this mind in you, which was also in Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Right? He emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on the cross. On the night when Jesus was arrested, he was in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. This is a garden there in Jerusalem. It's like a public park, if you will. And Jesus was there with his disciples. He had gone there to pray. And as he was there, a mob came to take him away to crucify him. And as this mob came and grabbed him, Jesus said something to his disciples that was really interesting. Do you know what it was? Here's what he said. He said, do you think that I cannot just appeal to my father? And he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels. Think about what Jesus is saying there. He's saying that he has the ability.
ability to call down an army of angels to wipe these guys out and to save himself. And yet, even though he had the ability to do it, even though he could have done it, he chose not to take that right, not to use that right. Why? Because rather than serving himself, Jesus chose to serve us by sacrificing his life so that we could be saved, that ultimate act of love. And the way to respond to that love is by trusting in him, by giving him our lives, and by taking up his mission in the world so that other people can also know that love and know that salvation that gives eternal hope. So I want to challenge you this week to trust the Lord in every area of your life. If he loves you enough to lay down his life for you, then you can trust him to take care of you. And I want to challenge you to be missionally minded in all of your interactions because of what Jesus did for you. Friends, rights and freedoms are wonderful. Yet, sometimes, the higher calling we have in Christ compels us to set aside our rights and freedoms for the sake of something greater. Please stand with me. Let's pray. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.